Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host Jack Perks and in today's podcast I'm interviewing Kate McRae aka Wildlife Kate who is going to be talking about all the wildlife she gets in her garden and the network of cameras she set up. Her garden is incredible with the amount of technology and cameras she set up covering everything that enters her garden so it's going to be fascinating but first let's hear the news. So I thought I'd better find a garden-related piece of news, and one came up that I couldn't resist, which is there's a rise in horny hedgehogs, and I don't mean that in the spiky way, I mean that they're just feeling a bit randy as well. So Michael Walker, who actually works for Knott's Wildlife Trust, and I know Michael, he did an interview with BBC News about why sightings of hedgehogs are on the rise. And there's a few theories. Less cars on the road at the minute means that there's less being squashed, which is obviously good. So that should help numbers of hedgehogs rise somewhat, because that's one of the main reasons hedgehogs are in decline. They they get run over, unfortunately. Um, With people gardening, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, as more people are around to see them, but there are also more people mowing, uh, strimming, and digging, so there's also more chance of hedgehogs getting potentially injured. So obviously, if you're out gardening, be careful in the leaf piles and the bushes, because you don't want to harm any hedgehogs. Now, Project Splatter... What a horrific name for a project. But Project Splatter uh, website showed between the end of March and the beginning of April 2020 that 140 roadkill sightings were recorded. Whereas you compare that to 2019 at the same period, 381. So that's a big, big reduction. Now it could also be a result of fewer people on the roads to see and record these sightings. So you have to take the data for what it is, but it looks promising. It was possible that people were spotting hedgehogs more in their garden because the animals were coming out earlier as well because it's quieter due to lockdown. We've also had a very warm start to the spring, which is going to be bringing them out earlier. So there's a few factors, but on the whole, more hedgehogs in our gardens, that can only be a good thing. Now, speaking of gardens, I spoke to Kate McRae about her amazing wildlife garden, what she's got visiting her garden, and some of the ways that you can film wildlife in your garden as well. Well, Kate, thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure. Lovely. And I think what you're, you're probably best known is all the, the garden. And you've got a pretty unique niche, I guess, because you've not only uh, filmed in your garden, you've taken it to the next level in terms of surveillance for your garden. So what made you want to film wildlife on your doorstep? Well, I've always been pretty much obsessed with wildlife for as long as I can remember. But I actually grew up in southeast London. So it's not as if I've grown up sort of in the wilds of the countryside. So maybe that's why I became sort of obsessed with the garden, because that was my place to learn. And in fact, I started with birds. Um, So as a child, I used to watch the birds on the bird table we had at home. And my dad has always been keen. So when I had my own garden, obviously that continued. And then some 10 years ago or so, I got my first Nest Box camera kit. And that's really what kick-started everything. So it all started with that little camera kit wired into an old TV I had in the kitchen and I became obsessed. Um, <laughs> it's a slippery slope, really isn't it? it <laughs> I know. I know. And I, I love technology. I really love technology. So um, I suppose as the tech has moved on, I've, I've carried on and just used that tech to help me get up close and personal with what's in my garden. Because they're quite affordable, aren't they? I know probably 10, 15 years ago, a Nest Cam box might have been quite a bulky, tricky thing now, but you can get them 
readily available online and they're quite compact, aren't they now? Oh, they're, they're fabulous. I mean, the technology is becoming more and more advanced and cheaper. And, and that's the incredible thing. You know, uh, certainly during this period, I've been looking back through some of my old footage and stuff I was really pleased with, like even four or five years ago, I'm thinking, oh my God, look at the quality of that. And now, like you say, for close on a hundred pounds, you could buy the Nest Box, an HD camera inside and all the cabling and everything you need to do to get it live, you know, coming into your computer, which is, which is amazing. Is, is there one you'd recommend? Is there any kind of brand or any particular one if someone wanted to give it a go? Um, there's two companies I use who both not only produce excellent kit, but also superb customer service, which I, I think is really important. Um, and yes, you can buy much cheaper anywhere, um, online particularly, but I think it's worth saving up and spending that little bit of extra knowing that you're getting a really quality kit and the backup behind it. And those companies are Garden Nature and Handycam. Both of those companies produce excellent kit at good quality prices with that family business type backup and support. So those are the two I recommend. Ah, brilliant. And, and obviously you've got this network of, how, how many cameras have you got in your garden out of interest? How, can, how, how well set up is um, it? It, <laughs> it changes. Um, yeah. At this time of the year, probably the max. Um, I've probably got, I'm sitting at my computer now with them on two monitors. I've got about 12 running at the moment um, that are actually wired up back into my um, computer system. Then I'm running a couple of other sort of experimental kits as well, which I'm live streaming. Um, so I've probably got coming on 20 on and off um, <laughs> at this time of year. Obviously, we've got nesting and, and all sorts. So, yeah, a, a lot of cameras. That's pretty bonkers, isn't it? That's amazing. And you must you must have a favourite. There must be a species that you, you kind of look forward to. I mean, I guess you look forward to seeing all of them, but is there one that kind of trumps the rest? I don't know. It's, it's really hard because people often ask me, you know, well, what's your favourite bird? What's your favourite thing to film or photograph? And I absolutely can quite honestly say I love it all. There is, it's really hard. Obviously, I love the seasonal stuff because some, some cameras I'm looking at 24-7 all year round. So the cameras that are on my live bird feeders, for example, I feed the birds all through the year and I get the same pleasure throughout the year by watching those. Um, and this, obviously the species varies slightly, but on the whole, sort of 80% of the birds you see on my feeders, you'll see all year round. Um, but then once we get to the spring, obviously I start to look forward to having cameras inside nest boxes. And I've got one box on an oak tree up my garden and you can never guarantee with wildlife. But if I had to put money on it, it would be that box because for every year for probably the last seven years, blue tits have nested in it. Now I can't believe it's the same pair, um, but I would, presume it's a combination of location it isn't the combination of the box because it's a new one each well not each year but many years but i fine-tuned the camera setup so i always look forward to that and i've got a female incubating nine eggs at the moment that are due to hatch at the beginning of may and i've watched this cycle over and over again and every year 
I look forward to it. So that's going to be a cracking <laughs> one. And that one's live streaming as well. <laughs> Did I see as well, you've got a rather tame robin in your garden. Yes, that's <laughs> been a big bonus of lockdown. <laughs> as you can imagine, I'm a pretty busy woman. I'm, I'm all over the place. I've got projects here, there and everywhere. And the one thing I actually don't spend enough of it's just sitting and enjoying my garden because the time I'm at home, I'm always setting up cameras, whizzing around, tidying up the garden, you know, setting up new, new um, bits and pieces. And what I very rarely do is just sit down with a cup of tea and enjoy it. And I've actually had probably, I, I don't feel I've had more time now, but I've spent more time in my own garden. So yeah, this Robin started, you know, appearing, coming up really close. So um, I thought, oh, now might be a good time. It'll come really close pretty early on. So I did actually purchase some live mealworms and that's been the, that's been the ad absolute thing that's, that's brought him in close. But now I can't go up the garden without him landing 20, 30 centimetres from me. And if I ignore him, <laughs> he, he flies right past my face. <laughs> you've got, <laughs> so you've like, got get, get the food out. You've got a needy robin. I have, um, you know, they, they've realised that I'm a good source of food and he's, he's feeding, or she, it's very hard to tell with Robins, um, because he's now taking these mealworms off. Um, um, but we'll film, we'll come and take them right out of my hand now, which gives me fantastic chances to film it only on my iPhone, <laughs> I might add. No, that's the brilliant. Slow motion, the slow motion um, option on the iPhone is fantastic, so I just hold it. And then, and then he comes and takes them out of my hand. I think that's what I saw on, I think you might have posted it on Twitter, but I'm, I'm, yeah. I've been earlier today or yesterday and I thought that is incredible. I mean, I get the odd Robin in my garden, but I've not got them doing that yet. So maybe that's a, a challenge for oh, myself. Oh yeah, and they seem very, I know we like to think, oh, well, they like being around us and they get to know us. You know, I'm a food source. And somebody said they're no different to, um, on Twitter, they're no different to any of the other birds, but they really are different. For <laughs> you to say thought, children then. <laughs> They've got, I've got loads of species in the garden and the blackbird is another one who's actually got really tame he'll come up closer but nothing on this robin and I swear it just waits and for me because the minute I go out in the garden there he is he, he alights on whatever the nearest branch is and sings a little song like like a sort of whispering song and just won't leave me alone until I go and get the pot of mealworms and then feed him some <laughs> it's wonderful it's totally amazing that's great. There's a uh, probably just hear my dachshund barking in the background, the little little monkey. Um, so, <laughs> so you've mentioned all these kind of classic characters. You've got the the blackbird, the robin, the blue tits. But presumably, you must get surprises, and because you've got this network of cameras, you're you're in a very good position to pick them up. So, has there been something in your garden that you've been like, oh wow, I wasn't maybe expecting that, or or didn't realise they were there? Because you're you're in you're in Staffordshire now, aren't you as well? Yes, yeah. I, I live on the outskirts of Litchfield in Staffordshire. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm lucky because my, although I'm only about a mile from the centre of Litchfield, my garden is right on the edge of the boundary of Litchfield. So it's surrounded by open countryside. So my network of cameras pick up all sorts of species. I've had over 50 species of bird in the garden, for example. So occasionally I do pick up unusual ones, but I suppose... <laughs> I'm so familiar with all my species now that it has to be pretty unusual for me to get excited. But mammals probably are, are, are the ones that are the most exciting because 
I get I film foxes every night um, in the field next to my garden. Um, I put a small amount of dried dog biscuit, the same as my dog has, out enough for them to draw them in for five minutes or so. So they're great. But on that camera, I've caught badger occasionally, and there's no set very close to here. So they're traveling up this far. Um, polecat. Oh, wow. Nice. That is a good one. Yeah. So I've Give had polecat on that camera and stoat and weasel. So those more elusive mammals that you would be very unlikely to see out in broad daylight. And, and the polecat I filmed in daylight, only like brief glances, but um, that's a fantastic one um, to get. And also my small mammal box. Oh my goodness. I think this year has been fantastic for mammals. There's been a lot more around on my camera, small mammals. And I'm now getting two different common shrews visiting this box daily it's a bit sad when you can actually recognize individuals <laughs> <laughs> but um that's a great one because shrews are something you very rarely see a good view of in the wild um and actually they're notoriously difficult to film and they're they're visiting this mammal box like at the moment i've just been watching the common shrew and just uploading some videos now Amazing, amazing. Uh, are shrews the ones where you can hear them? They do very low level clicks. Yeah, yeah they, they, well, it's, it's quite, it's quite a loud um, yeah. sort of blast of noise sometimes, especially if they come into the box and there's another mammal already in there because I regularly get wood mice and bank voles in there and they're not very tolerant. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, fantastic. And they're meant to be sort of an insectivorous um, creature, but it's coming in and eating all sorts it loves the little tiny suet pellets that i put in there that are designed for the birds very high energy yeah. um shrews are like they're on um fast forward all the time they need a huge yeah. amount of food yeah i've <laughs> so, seen i've seen water shrews which i think are a little a little bit bigger um but yeah. i know that you know they got to eat like their equivalent in weight or something ridiculous mm. they have to eat a lot just to keep going don't they yeah um, i mean unbelievably i've even filmed water shrew in this mammal box not this year i had i had some oh time. in your garden yeah, but, oh, wow. um, well, it's actually um, uh, just opposite my house. I've got um, where my garage is opposite my um, my cottage. I'm looking now, and there's a there's a common shrew in there right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, in in quite damp undergrowth. There's no immediate water supply near me, but they will live in just damp damp undergrowth as well as um, in in streams. Um, so yeah, I got I even filmed. I got fantastic footage when I first saw it. I was like what is that? <laughs> Just not really familiar. And it was a species I wasn't expecting. Um, but sadly, they haven't got to this bit, but the, where I've got it now is a little bit more of a dry environment. So unlikely to get them in this box. Yeah, that's the great thing though, isn't it? That you do get these surprises. So I think that's, that's always nice mm -hmm. when you get something like, oh, you know, where, where's that come from? Um, yeah. And as well, as well as your garden work, you also manage a slightly larger reserve, don't you? Yeah, um, there's a seven acre, it's actually a private garden um, on the edges of, uh, in Worcestershire, a beautiful seven acre site that runs down onto the River Severn. So I helped manage that for wildlife. So installed, or oh, I've lost count how many cameras there. We probably have 20 to 30 cameras there. Um, running on a very similar system to the one I have at home. So they're all wired back into a central computer system that runs a piece of software that's effectively CCTV. So it's monitoring all the cameras 24 seven um, and recording whenever it detects any kind of movement. 
Uh, I can then look back at any of the playback on any of those cameras. Whenever there's a movement, there's a little blip on a timeline and I can go back and have a look. Um, so you can imagine the more cameras you have, the more footage you have to look through. And obviously I can't go down to UView at the moment. Um, so luckily in a way, um, the tawny owl didn't nest in our box this year because usually what I'm doing at this time of the year is, is lifting loads of footage of tawny and tawny owlets. Um, but she didn't nest in there this year. So that would have been torture. <laughs> <laughs> so it's worked um, out all right but, for you. But yeah, it's, it's a wonderful sight and I'm so missing going there because it, it provides me with a whole different landscape to further develop the kind of work and techniques. And I'm very experimental as well. I love doing stuff that's a bit out of the box or a bit different. <laughs> that's great i mean it's kind of nice to have somewhere to tinker around with an experiment and obviously there's going to be wildlife there that you perhaps you're not going to get i think you sent footage of otters to me before and obviously yeah. you're unlikely to get that in your garden in litchfield i would assume well yeah i, I don't have any water source here yet <laughs> you view backs onto the river seven so um and and it's a much bigger site and um the owners are amazing they've re they're really keen and they've supported me on some bigger and more crazy projects like I built a badger set um, and I've got cameras inside that last um, well the end of last summer I built an otter hole with two cameras inside and then we had a whole winter of flooding so <laughs> the cameras were taken out within weeks of me finishing it and of course they haven't gone back in now because the floodwaters didn't subside till about a month before all of this started so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so that's going to be a project for later this year, hopefully. But all the all the halt is built, all the infrastructure is there. I might need to redo a bit of wiring after um, water damage. But um, but yeah, it's it's given me a well, it's changed it's changed really my 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 life in that because it's 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 given me a chance to do some pretty incredible stuff. Yeah, no, it's a phenomenal project to to undertake. And in in a previous life, you you were a teacher. But you've tried to bring some of that uh, back and, and bring nature into the classroom, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, really not a previous life because I still teach. <laughs> oh, do you? Sorry, Kay. Yeah. I, I didn't know if you still taught yeah. or not. Okay, yeah. though. Well, no, I still your... cram that in in my busy weeks. All right. In your, in, sorry, then. In your current life. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I, I teach two days a week still at a very large um, Nuneaton junior school, over 500 pupils but I'm in charge of outdoor learning. So yes, I'm a qualified teacher. I've taught in the primary sector for over 30 years and I'm in the very enviable position of being um, paid as a, a qualified teacher, but with no class commitment. Um, so I'm actually in charge of all the school grounds. So we've developed a huge amount in the school grounds and then basically providing opportunities for staff and pupils um, to take their learning outside, which is incredibly valuable. And I think all schools, sadly, don't have the, the funds to enable um, someone like me to be employed. But by having someone who specifically that's their role in school means that it's much more likely to happen. Um, and we, we oh, it's, it's just a joy. I absolutely love it and get a lot from working with youngsters. 
So do you think there should be more kind of nature taught in the classroom? And I, mean, I remember a little bit in, you know, food webs and things like that when I was at school, but that, that was about the extent of it. I mean, I don't remember, certainly not much about British wildlife, but um, it'd be great to see more of that taught in schools. Oh, absolutely. But it isn't just, it isn't just actually teaching children about British wildlife as such. It's taking any learning outside. So it could be that you're doing your maths work, for example, um, and instead of measuring on a worksheet, um, you're doing some measuring outside. I did a load of maths work with children with leaves and fir cones and twigs and all sorts of things. When you're doing descriptive and imaginative writing, why not go and sit in the Bluebell Woods? We're lucky enough, uh, Michael Drayton, to have Hartsill Hayes within a five minute walk from school. Um, you go and sit kids in there and ask them to write imaginatively and you'll get a hell of a lot better quality writing than you will just by sitting in a classroom. Um, and I think the more you take children outside, the more they come to love and appreciate how it makes them feel being outside. And from that becomes, um, hopefully, a love of being outdoors. And, and yet, obviously, I can't help but instill my um, enthusiasm for natural history on children. And at that age, they're just like little sponges. And I think yeah, if definitely. you get them excited and interested within the primary years, even if they may switch off for a little bit in secondary, by the time they get older, they soon come back. So yeah, it's, you... it's a really precious, a precious time um, to spend with, with youngsters and sharing my love and enthusiasm of, of the natural world with them. Yeah, you've got to install that, that kind of interest early on, I think, haven't you? Mm. Yeah. And, you know, increasingly, as we all know, children are spending more and more time inside and on phones and tablets and games. Um, but, you know, I keep saying use that technology to help them engage outside. Because if I think if I had if I as a child had had access to a tenth of what these kids have got now, you know, the amount of stuff you can do with filming and apps and ID and you know, and all the technology you're seeing with my cameras, kids love it. And trail cameras is another one. I use trail cameras a lot in the school grounds. We videoed um, badgers and foxes, buzzards, all sorts. They can't wait to get that SD card out and check <laughs> it out. So it's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. That's brilliant. And I'm going to end on this last question. So if other people are inspired by the sort of stuff that you do, uh, where's the best place to start if they're going to try and film wildlife in their garden? Well, I think I would definitely say a nest box camera kit. Now, the thing is with these nest box camera kits, it doesn't just have to stay in the nest box. And that's what really kick-started me. You know, I started with that nest box. Um, but once the season was over, you know, end of May, beginning of June, it seemed a real shame that camera was just sitting in looking at an empty nest box for most of the year. So most of the kits you can buy now, you can actually take that little camera out. And whereas it's not suitable for filming um, like general wildlife, because it's designed to film in a very small space. Um, what I did was take that camera out, um, make a little box, put some seed in that little box. And that's how my mammal boxes started. And they've evolved massively over the last few years. Um, and in fact, it was the mammal box, ironically, that first got Springwatch interested and I've done lots of bits and pieces with Springwatch since 
but it was actually that little mammal box. And that was a simple Nest Box camera kit um, with the camera taken out and put inside a little box with two little entrances um, out in my hedge. And I was using the same kit. Or you can put it on a bird feeder, all sorts. So don't just think it's only for a Nest Box. Make sure you buy the kind of kit like Garden Nature and Handy Cam do where that little camera, as long as it's water protected, can be put in a different container and start attracting different wildlife in. Well, it makes a lot of sense. And I have to admit, until you just said that, it's not something I'd even thought to do. So, it, yeah, why, why only use it for a couple of months in the spring when there's all kinds of uses for the rest of the year? So that's a really good uh, good tip to try out. And I guess as well, you've got things like trail cams and things like that you can put up in your garden and see Absolutely. what's lurking about. Oh, I, I can't imagine life without trail cameras now. I've got them all over the place. <laughs> um, so on my like hourly walk that I do, well, I tend to either run or walk very early in the morning. Um, once a week, I do the rounds and um, collect up all the cards from my trail cams and reset them as I go around. So that's just in, in my locality. But realistically, that's what I've been doing for the last decade or so. Um, I'm very much focused in my garden and what's right on my own patch, which is why I think, um, in a way, a lot of what I've done has become so popular because it's 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 not out of the realms of anybody doing it. You know, I'm entirely self-taught. I'm not, you know, a wildlife filmmaker, professionally trained. I'm just a keen enthusiast and, and have made the most of the amazing wildlife network of people who've helped me along the way. You know, if, I, if I'm not sure about something or I'd like some help with something, invariably there's somebody out there in twitter sphere or on the internet somewhere and and like how we met you know i've, I've met some incredible people by the internet um with similar love and passion for the natural world i think that's the great thing uh, about your gardens isn't it that it is that it is accessible and that anyone can do work you know maybe you can't walk so well or you're, you're you've got limitations or whatever anyone can get in their garden uh, and explore the wildlife there through through the technology that you mentioned with nest cams and trail cams and, and whatnot. Yeah, and so. even, if you, even if you haven't got a garden, I mean, I've got window feeders. You can put a nest box on a wall outside a window and have it wired back into your computer. Um, so, so even if you've got the tiniest space or a window box, I mean, I've seen stuff on the internet, people living in in blocks, um, sort of tower blocks, and having all sorts of birds, including peregrines, <laughs> coming and nesting on their balcony <laughs> because that, that space mimics cliffs. So I think don't, don't think, well, where I live, I'm not going to get anything because you will. There's got to be something there. I, I, it, I can't believe that you couldn't find anything in a space where you live. If you Even build it, they will come. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure, Kate. Uh, thanks for talking to me about it all. And hopefully that's given people some ideas to, to have a go at filming what's, what's in their gardens. Yeah, and go and have a look, at, look on um, my website because I've got lots of cameras live streaming and those blue tit eggs are due to hatch anytime soon. So if you go on to wildlifekate-alfrescowild.co.uk, you'll see all my new stuff. <laughs> Cheers. All right, take care, Kate. All right, nice to speak to you. So that was Wildlife Kate. I think it's absolutely incredible the amount of wildlife she's attracted and filmed in her garden. So if you've not already, definitely give Wildlife Kate a Google, have a look at her website, check out some of the stuff she's done. It's absolutely fantastic. That brings me on to 
nature reserve of the week. And I got to thinking, well, how about my own garden? Now, obviously, most of you aren't going to be able to visit this one, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about the wildlife in my garden and maybe give you some ideas as well. So where I currently live, there are three ponds. I've got a main pond. This is predominantly for just general wildlife. It's where the dragonflies are. Uh, I've got some fish in my pond. I've got crucians, tench, and nine-spined sticklebacks. Uh, a lot of people say you can't have fish in wildlife ponds. I've not had any problems with those fish. I think if your pond's big enough and you've got non-aggressive species, then there's no reason why you can't have fish in your pond. It largely comes down to, is there enough hidey areas? If you've got a very open pond, then the fish are going to eat everything because they can spot it and catch it. If you've got a kind of densely weeded pond, then the invertebrates have got a much better chance of getting away. And that's what my pond is. It's pretty thick weed. And I've got a mixture of milfoil. I've got some curly pond weed. Uh, these kind of great leafy oxygenators. Uh, water forget-me-not. Great for newts to lay their eggs on. That's a really good one. Uh, I've got some water mint. Uh, marsh marigolds. I've got some lilies. So a mixture of plants. And for your pond, the more variety they're better. The different plants are going to attract different wildlife which have specialisms in them. So that's what you want for your pond. I've also got a kind of shallow area and then it deepens off a little bit. Got some rocks in there and, and shelves. So it's a pretty you know, simple wildlife pond but it, it works pretty well. I get smooth newts, palmate newts, common frogs, dragonflies, all kinds of stuff in there. So I'm really, really, really happy with that. Uh, my other two ponds, one of them is a fish pond and I've got some golden tench, some grass carp and some rudd um, in there and then I've got my stickleback pond and that has three spine stickleback's in it. Now the reason I don't have stick uh, three spine stickleback's in my main pond is they're incredibly aggressive predators despite being small and they will eat the tadpoles and things so I would recommend that if you've got a small wildlife pond don't put three spine stickleback's in it. Nine spines are okay but not three spines. Um, it's better to have their own dedicated pond because they're amazing animals to, to watch so I would recommend having them but put them in their own pond. Um, if you've got a large pond, they might be all right, but in small ponds, I wouldn't recommend free-spine sticklebacks. I've then got some bug hotels around the garden for things like minor bees and different invertebrates to kind of hide in there. I've got one large tree, I've got a big conifer, and there's magpies, there's wood pigeons nesting in there, and I, I, love, I love having trees in my garden. So it's a focal point because there aren't really any other trees um, where I live is a relatively built up urban area so birds kind of flock to that one conifer. I've got a couple of bird boxes, I've got a robin box uh, at the back of my garden, nothing in it this year but I have got some great tits on my back fence and there's some nesting in there and as well as uh, other birds kind of just in the bushes like blackbirds and stuff like that. I've got lots of lavender on the floor. This creates a, a relatively thick blanket and obviously in the summer you get lots of nectar off, uh, off lavender and I've also got wild geraniums which are one of my favourite plants just because they flower themselves in around about May time but also they create a fairly thick dense moisture uh, layer beneath the uh, soil, beneath the foliage and this is perfect for invertebrates, it's really good for the amphibians to hide away in the day particularly in the warm weather and in the winter somewhere for them to hibernate so that's a great plant to have dense mats of that in there as well. Um, thinking of amphibians again, I've also got a rockery and that's got some heather in there, another kind of plant that releases lots of nectar. And I've also got a hibernaculum, which I specifically built for amphibians to hibernate in. And all that is is a hole in the ground and I've just shoved loads of dead and rotting wood and then I've put a little mat over the top of that, uh, as well as wood piles and things like that. So these are all really simple things you can do. 
at the minute we've got lots of time so why not turn your garden into a mini wildlife paradise and follow in Kate's example get some cameras out there and see what you can film in there really enjoyed talking to Kate she's obviously very knowledgeable on filming these wildlife and she's seen lots and lots of incredible stuff over the years Hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. This has been the Bearded Tits podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I will catch you next time. Cheers.